It's just spring season of soccer. And uh, I'm happy to report they won six to one. So praise Jesus. Clearly he favors them more than the opposite team. Um, I mean, the truth is it was the dragons, which is his team, which is awesome uh, versus the sharks. I mean, sharks are cool, but they're not going to be dragons. And my wife is actually the coach. So I'm actually married to a soccer mom completely now. Um, and my wife is Thai, so I think they should be called the Thai Dragons, but she says that's racist. Um, so I don't know. It's different, I guess. Um, if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and, and pull those out, or you can follow along through the app um, if you'd like. But we're going to just jump into our series this morning, read some verses. Um, can we actually stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Um, just want to honor and reverence what it is that he has spoken to us through his word. So this is Romans chapter 1, 15, we're going to read through 18. Um, And it says this, it says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Let's pray together. Holy spirit. We thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you that it's a living and active word, not a dead and a passive word. God, I thank you that through your word and through your spirit, you deliver truth and transformation into our hearts. So we ask this day, God, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and feet ready to walk in obedience to your word. God, let us see you for who you really are. God, let your voice and your spirit draw us near to you. God, we refuse to believe that your presence is simply something that comes and abides for us while we sing and then leaves while we sit and listen to somebody intellectually talk. God, we long to experience you and communicate with you and be with you. God, in the midst of your word being proclaimed. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you again and continually to come to have your way. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat, preferably probably the one you were just in. We're in the midst of a series uh, right now, officially the shortest series that Sozo's ever done. It's uh, just a three-week series. You're here for the last week. Um, We're calling this a look at the gospel. We're just taking a a kind of very high pass overview look and uh, a peek into the gospel, trying to get into it, trying to understand it, trying to grab a hold of it. Um, I want to just real fast before we jump in too much further, uh, thank all of you who sent in videos last week uh, for our two-year anniversary. That was amazing and great. Um, We'll be posting that to, to, we tried posting it to Facebook and they said it was too long. So I'm working on it. Don't worry, it'll go up there though. So uh, but I want to thank you guys. It was great to, to hear from you and to, to have you share uh, with all of us the, the amazing grace and work that God's doing here in this house. So um, we're, we're looking at this partially because it's our two-year anniversary. We're in kind of a, a phase where the leadership team of, the, of this church kind of feels like there's a shift happening. There's, a, there's something that, that is, is being desired of the Lord to begin to shift and to move and to begin to look even in a greater way outwardly. So we wanted to look at the gospel and really take some time and grab a hold of it and make sure that we're kind of all on the same page when we use that word. Because as we all know, Christians like to make words utterly meaningless by overusing them and 
completely and utterly not defining them. <laughs> um, if you don't believe me, go to any youth conference in America. You'll hear the word destiny 47 times and generation at least 62 times. And they mean nothing to anybody in the room, but they get kids riled up. So um, we're trying to really grab a hold of the gospel. What does it really mean? What do we really mean by it? So we've been looking at this passage in Romans where Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. And then we've been looking at the story of Jonah. If you've got your Bibles out or a Bible application, you can turn to Jonah chapter four. I'm not going to be specifically reading from it, uh, but just kind of referencing it as it relates to where we're at in the narrative of that book. Um, So we're looking at the gospel. It was important for us to define the gospel. So I did my best to define the gospel as short as I possibly could. This was the best I could do. So uh, this is kind of our working definition when we talk about the gospel. Uh, The gospel is the news that though we are sinners and objects of God's just wrath, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again eternally triumphant over all his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. That's a good place to say amen if you agree. Okay, I'm going to read that again, and we'll edit out that first take in the podcast. So you guys ready? Okay, cool. The gospel is the news that though we are sinners and objects of God's just wrath, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again eternally triumphant over all of his enemies, So that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. There we go. Good job. Pretend like we're Pentecostal for a week. Um, So in looking at the gospel, looking and understanding it, we understood that the gospel is an actual real truth about an actual real event that actually happened where Jesus, who was an actual man, and actually God, come on somebody, died on a real cross for real people who have real sin and struggle with real things, come on, and that that was the, 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 the reality of what took place on that cross was that he didn't die a, a some kind of vague, uh, you know, just a picture kind of thing to teach us how we ought to live, live sacrificially and give for others. That's not the point of, of the gospel. That's not a point, the, the point of the cross, but rather that he genuinely, really, actually died for the real sin that you have committed and will commit. That his actual death brings actual freedom. And that the belief and the faith in that grace, in that forgiveness, is the coupling piece that takes the actual real event that happened on the cross and applies it to our lives. That through belief, through faith, which is a gift from God, we are united with him in his death. We are united with him in his resurrection. And through that, we experience the application of the grace of God in our lives. Gospel means good news. Or really, the word gospel means the news that's so good that it makes us joyful. But the, that the, the natural, most expected result of the good news, the gospel coming to your life, is you should be joyful. It doesn't mean we don't have any problems. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with things. It doesn't mean that we don't have hard and difficult, real, gritty, dirty things that take place in our lives. But the, 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 the reality of it is that the gospel brings about joy even in the midst of those circumstances. Because our joy is found in Jesus and not in our circumstances. Because most of it's all about Jesus. He is what it is all completely, totally, and utterly about. 
So the first week we saw that this message, this gospel, this good news that brings great joy is for the church. We looked at this in two ways. Paul says in Romans, pull this back up here. Uh, in Rome, oh, that's the wrong one. Cool. Don't read that. You shouldn't know that yet. Um, <laughs> Romans chapter 115 says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's writing this to a church. He's not, he's, this is not some you know, radio advertisement to, to the, the, the city. Rather, it is primarily written to the church in Rome. He's saying, I long to come to you, and, and I long to preach to you. He doesn't say, I long to come to you, and I long to preach to you about my abilities, or what God's doing through my ministry, or through signs, wonders, and miracles, and all this cool stuff that's happening. He doesn't come and say, I long to come and preach to you a great message about how to, how to give to me, so God will give to you. He doesn't say, I long to impress you with my intellectual knowledge and understanding of the Bible. He says, I long to come to you, and as a church, what I want to preach to you is the gospel. It's the news that though you are a sinner, though you are though you are an object of God's just wrath, God poured out every ounce of wrath He has toward you on Jesus, and therefore all His love for you is acceptance and love and grace. That's the news. That's the thing He wants to preach to Him. We need to understand that the gospel is not for those that are outside, just for those that are outside the church, but it's for us. We need to be a church, come on, that sings about the gospel, loves the gospel, preaches the gospel, hears the gospel, celebrates the gospel, puts all of our hope and all of our trust and all of our future in the gospel and in the gospel alone. Come on. It's for the church because, why do we need to do this? What's, what's the big deal? I, I would throw out to you primarily one of the reasons why is because we forget the gospel so quickly and so easily. We lose faith in the gospel almost instantaneously often after we hear it. And we believe that really the best thing we can do is hide. The gospel teaches us, the gospel encourages us to be open, to be real, to be genuine before the Lord and before one another and say, you know what, this is my mess. We think that what the Christian life is all about is learning how to hide our sin as best as we can. That really the key to acceptance inside the church is to, inside Christianity, is, is to just try to manage my sin, to, to try to sin maybe less tomorrow than I did today, and if I can't sin less, to at least hide it better. Do it when nobody's around. Maybe where nobody sees it. And the gospel rather teaches us to confess our sin and say, no, this is the sin, this is the, re- the reality of my mess, my life, and who I am. And we, we, we don't believe that. We might hear it now and say, yeah, yeah, that's right. But before you get to your car, you'll believe that you ought to hide better. So why does the church need to celebrate and sing and hear and, and, and reverence the gospel and then have it permeate and saturate everything we do? Because we don't believe it. I've said this before, I'll say it again, as long as I am the one in front of this church preaching, all you're going to hear every week, hopefully, is the gospel. Because it's the gospel that brings about true and genuine transformation. The other reason, because let's let's, let's just be honest, the world out there is messy and dirty and gross. As my former mentor, Jude Lutley, would say, he's broken, busted, and disgusted. 
The world's rough. And the only way we're going to make it through that world and fulfill the purpose and the calling and the reality of who we are called to be in that world is through being saturated with the reality of the gospel. We saw that the gospel is for the church. Amen? We saw that the gospel is also for the city. Jonah was a prophet to the nation of Israel. We see that in, in Kings where it says he wasn't just, you know, the fish guy. He also was a prophet to the nation of Israel. He, in, in our modern vernacular, he was a preacher in a church. So he, he, was the, he brought the, the gospel, the message of the Lord to the people of God. First, primarily, the gospel for the church. But also God called uh, Jonah to go into a city that knew nothing of God and preach the message of God. To preach, again, in modernizing it, looking at it through the lens of the new covenant and through Jesus, he called him to go and preach the gospel. Paul, he says, I, I long to preach the gospel to you, but he also mentions Rome. Please understand, yes, I believe he wanted to preach the gospel to the church, but you have to believe, if you know anything about Paul, that he longed to preach the gospel to the city as well. The gospel is for the church, but the gospel is also for the city. If all we do is sit inside these four walls and sing happy Jesus songs and think happy Jesus thoughts and pat one another on the back and be real with one another and then forget about it as we walk out, we have failed utterly and miserably as a church. So not only is the gospel for the church, yes, but the gospel is for the city. Amen? So here's what I believe. I believe that a gospel-saturated church is a church compelled to proclaim the joyful news to the city that they are planted in. Amen? I believe that we cannot, as a church, live and celebrate the gospel within the confines of this community, and even Sunday mornings and small groups and, and get-togethers and barbecues. If, if, if the gospel saturates all of our interactions as a body, I don't believe we can be anything but compelled to share that news with everyone we know. That is the natural outworking of our belief and faith in the gospel. I'm going to give you three reasons why I believe that's true. Three, three things that it begins to stir up in you real fast. First, why do I long to, to share the gospel with those that I come in contact with? This is not going to be politically correct. I don't care. Primarily, one of the first things that comes to my mind when I meet somebody who I know is far off, distant, disconnected from Jesus, why do I long to preach the gospel to them? Because ultimately, the, the road that they are on is going to lead to their destruction. It's just the reality of the situation. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and say, look, where you're heading, the direction of the city that you are heading is coming right in a face-to-face -face confrontation with the wrath and just judgment of God. That's what he calls him to preach. That's what Jonah does preach when he gets there. Why do we long to preach the gospel to this city? Why the church must be go out from here and into the city to preach the gospel, because if we don't, those that do not believe will be destroyed. It doesn't seem to be a whole lot of it, but it's true. Second reason, I long to preach the gospel for those who I come across who I need. Second byproduct, the second thing that is stirred up within us as a church is we saturate ourselves in the gospel. I long for people that I need to know the joy that I know in Jesus. I long for them to understand that there is something beyond my circumstances that bring me joy. 
That every night when I lay my head on my pillow and I believe the gospel, I am filled with nothing but eternal joy in Jesus. There is joy and fulfillment in him. That there is something so great and wonderful about knowing that, you know what? I will never die. I will, I will never be separated from the Savior who loves and gave himself for me. And I long for those that don't know that to know that. I long for those who, who are unaware of that reality. I fear sometimes that as believers, as, as those that have been won by the goodness and grace of Jesus, that we forget what it was like to not be in that place. We get so used to the blessing that we forget what it's like. Anybody know that kid in high school who had everything? And he didn't get one thing that he wanted and he acts like his life is falling apart? And you're like, dude, I, I haven't bought these shoes in like six years. Shut up. We get so spoiled as believers. We forget what it's like to be outside of Christ. share the gospel. I'm compelled as I'm saturated with the gospel to share it because I don't want people to be destroyed because I want them to be filled with the joy that I know. And here's the bigger, grander, greater reason. You ready? I want to bring Jesus glory. And redeeming messed up people brings Jesus glory. Redemption brings glory to God. When we see the just wrath of God averted by the sacrifice of Christ and lost sinners brought home to be sons, come on somebody, that brings God glory. That's too big for you. You suck at life and God said that was okay. He redeemed you and people went, the whole universe went, wow, that's good. He should have just fried that guy, but he didn't. Be gracious. We saw this in Jonah, where Jonah literally is called by God. Jonah is like, if there's a guy that's going to obey God, right? I mean, look, dude, this is kind of our culture. Please hear me, I don't believe this, but this is what our culture kind of is. Well, there's somebody that's going to obey God, it's the preacher, right? And Jonah gets called to go into the city and preach the gospel. And we see this in chapter 4. The reason why he didn't go to Nineveh, he literally disobeys God, goes the opposite direction. Hangs out with sailors. He would rather hang out with professional sinners, sailors, and go with these people and go the opposite direction of where God wants him to go. Run away from him because he hates the people of Nineveh. Literally, what we find in chapter 4, you don't believe me. What we find in chapter 4, read this is your homework. Last week is chapter 2, this week is chapter 4. Read the whole chapter. Literally, what Jonah says is like, look, he, he comes, he preaches, we heard this last week, he preaches the gospel to the city. God sees that they all repent, all of them, from the greatest to the least. They all repent, they all turn from their wickedness, they all run to Jesus. If we're looking at it again through the lens of the New Testament, they all repent, they all declare that God is God and he is right and they are wrong. God relents from his, from his judgment, he relents from his anger, and Jonah gets pissed. And he yells at God, he says, you might as well just kill me, because I knew if I came here and I preached the gospel, all of them would get saved. What a great evangelist. If you, if you struggle with evangelism, this should give you great joy. Like, Jonah preached one message, saved the whole city, and he's angry about it. He doesn't run on the TV and like, what are they? He doesn't go back to like Israel and go, yeah, pretty awesome. 
tells him to kill the legion. But he gets angry. He runs outside the city, blows up his hair, puts it in front of his eyes, becomes Nemo, and just hates him. He says, You might as well just kill me, I want to die, because you saved all of them. That's the guy that God used. Is that not gracious? Even when Jonah ran from God, got in the boat, ran away, caused calamity, pain, and destruction on everybody in the boat because of his sin, God still sent grace to bring him back to where he was called. We call it fish. It was the grace of God to haul Jonah's disrespectful, disobedient little butt back to dry land so he could do what God called him to do. Does, anybody, does God work with anybody else like that? You try to disobey, and he's like, yeah, nice try. It's not going to happen. And drags you kicking and screaming back to obedience. No, just me? Okay. This is the reality of the grace and the goodness of God in your life. Even when you try to get away from it, he wouldn't like it. We see this in the gospel. We, we celebrate this in the gospel. It brings great glory to God to redeem lost people. church that's saturated in that is compelled to share. person who is saturated in that is compelled to share. And here's where I want to get you. The gospel's for the church. Amen? The gospel's for the city. And woven through this whole thing, hopefully you've seen it the whole time, the gospel is for the child of God. Here's my fear. Here's my word. Here's what I believe. Let me back up. I believe that in the next season of Soto as a church, God is calling us and propelling us ever more into our city. Amen? And here's what I fear, that as you are at heart of a joy-filled, gospel-saturated church that is on point, on mission, reaching a city, that you'll forget the gospel for you. That you'll abandon the fact that the gospel is there for you. Jonah is so ridiculously overwhelmed with grief and anger because he forgot that the gospel was for him. He forgot that he's no different than the people in that city. He forgot that he needs the gospel as much as they He forgot that he was just as much an object of God's just wrath as every person in Nineveh. I fear that we will forget as individuals that we need the gospel just as much as our city does. I fear that we will forget that we all need the gospel just as much as our city does. I fear that you will forget that you need the gospel just as much as our city does. I fear that I will forget that I need the gospel just as much as our city does. Membership in a church, participation in a body of Christ, activity in ministry, faithful proclamation of the gospel will never replace your relationship with Jesus. But we emphasize here greatly that Jesus died to be a people. Jesus died for you, sort of. Jesus died for the church. Come on, somebody. And you, as a part of the church, get to experience the redemption that was purchased through his death for the church. 
We emphasize that a lot here. It's important to me for us to understand that we that redemption is is tied into your joining with Jesus' body, which is called the church. Well, it's just me and Jesus. That's all I need. Great. That's not in the Bible. But the flip side of that point is you come into a church, you being active in a church, you doing ministry will never replace your intimate, personal, affectionate relationship with Jesus. Period. Don't lose sight of that relationship. As I skipped ahead, but Revelation chapter two, verse one. I want us to get this. I want us to grab a hold of this. I want us to understand this. Let me give you just a little bit of context real fast. This is the book of Revelation. Yeah, that's where we're going to begin. And here we have Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. A guy named John. He wrote the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He's having an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus here says, look, I know that Paul's written a bunch of books. To the churches, he's written, I've had him write letters to the churches. I, I want to write some to you now, so I'm going to have you write some letters to some churches. And these are the letters that Jesus sent. These are the, the epistles that Jesus sent to these churches. Here's what Jesus is going to say. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you are not growing weary. That's a good endorsement of a church, right? I mean, think about what he's saying here. He's saying it like, that they're going through hard times, they're going through difficulty, they're standing up, they're still doing the ministry, they're still preaching the gospel, they're still celebrating as a church, reaching their city, they're still doing the, the work of the ministry. Not only that, but like a few Ephesus, apparently, from what we read here, was like the testing ground. If you thought you were something in Jesus, you went there, and they tell you whether you were or not. People who thought they were apostles, they'd go to Ephesus, and they'd be like, yeah, I'm something. And they'd be like, yeah, no, no. It's a pretty good church. I'm just saying, that seems like they got their stuff together. Because you're enduring, you're keeping on track, you're on point, you're on mission, you, you've got this thing down, you're not growing weird, you're encouraging one another, exhorting one another, building one another up. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. That's a strong word. Repent. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Can I just level that for you real fast and say, look, you're doing lots of good stuff. You're a good church. You're, you're doing all the right stuff. You're encouraging one another, all that, but you've forgotten the love that you had for me in the beginning. What's the work you did when you first got saved? You're like me, you cried a lot. That was my work that I did when I first realized just how much I sucked at life. There was weeping and repentance and affection toward Jesus. Because look, that's what you need to get back to. 
It's good and great and all that you're reaching your city. It's good and great and all that you're like, you're the big shot in town and you're in the region. You're the place people go to find out if they're really, you know, something me or not, if they've really gotten annoyed. But here's the reality, guys. You lost your love for me. And then he calls them, like, so, you know, like, find some time to have, you know, get up a little earlier and spend some time with Jesus. No, he says, repent. Change the way you think. Abandon your thinking that doing all of this crap is what I want from you and realize that what I really want is you and your heart and your passion and your affection. That's what I'm after. Without that, all of this stuff doesn't matter because here's the truth of this. This is what scares me. How did this passage start? How did Jesus identify himself? To the angel of the church of Ephesus right, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks amongst the seven lampstands, he's about to write seven letters to seven churches, of which all he refers to their lampstands. Can I push this a little bit? He walks amongst lampstands. And what's his warning to them if they don't repent? That he'll come and remove their lampstand. Can I tell you my greatest fear for this church? My greatest fear is not that we'll follow the false doctrine. My greatest fear is not that like somebody will do something bad and that there will be, you know, scandals and hardship. That's just probably gonna happen because people suck. I love you. Um, the reality, my biggest fear is that we'll keep having church and Jesus will stop. That we'll keep going and we'll keep moving on and he won't be here anymore. And we'll be so busy doing so many good things that we'll forget that he was ever here. His warning to the church is, look, either you remember me or I'm going to come and take the thing that draws me to you, the lampstand. Either you come and you repent Either you, either you repent. I love you guys. Either you realize that I'm after your heart and you repent and come back to me, or else I'm not going to be with you anymore. That am I wrong? Is that not what he's saying here? I'm the one. Hold stars. I walk amongst lampstands. Either you repent or I'll remove your life saying, I won't be there anymore. So yeah, I'm like struggling, I have this sin, I have this, this, this addiction. Can I love with you for a second about something I believe very strongly? I believe fundamentally that God designed humanity to be addicts. He built addiction into it. You were designed to be addicted to things. The ultimate real design of Jesus, the ultimate hope of the Creator, God, is that you would be addicted to Him. Which tells me this the answer to your addiction is not saying no to that foreign affection, but rather learning to say yes to Jesus.
No is only going to work two times. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you can say no twice. If you're really tough, three times. Thing comes across the screen, person offers you the thing, somebody says the thing that makes you want to do the thing, and you say, no, you got two of those. <laughs> Next time the person says the thing, mm -hmm. <clears throat> third time you punch him in the throat. Come on, you, I'm, that's just the way it happens. No is a temporary fix. It's behavior modification. The answer is not learning to say no more often. The answer is learning that there is a superior joy in a different yes. There is something else I need to say yes to. If I'm saying yes to Jesus, I can't say yes to anything else. Are you following what I'm saying here? The, the answer to your addiction is not you learning to say no to that foreign affection. The answer to your addiction is more Jesus. Why do I go back to the sin that I love so much? Because I am convinced that there is superior joy in saying yes to that than saying yes to Jesus. There's a quicker, easier, better fix for me. I believe in pick your sin, whatever it is, that than the love and grace and acceptance and presence of Jesus. I believe I will be more satisfied in whatever I like, whatever good thing that God gave me that I've corrupted, I believe that will satisfy me more than Jesus. If I believe, and when I believe, that Jesus is the greatest satisfaction I can have, he's what I say yes to. Not because it's a good thing to do, but because I'm an addict and I'm selfish and I want the best I can get. And he's the best. Until I believe that, I'll say yes to everything else. And trying to say no, true strikes my mouth. Superior joy, the greatest conquering savior, the ultimate deliverer. Is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Did you hear what I said? I didn't say Jesus has your answer. That's religion. I said Jesus is your answer. He is the answer to your life. Your problem, your addiction, your struggle, your anger, your past. Your uncertain future, he's the answer. He's it. There's no end. It's just Jesus. That's why we say every week it's all about Jesus. That's who we long for. That's who we run after. The gospel, hear me. The gospel, yes, it's for the church. Yes, it's for the city. But come on, the gospel. For the child of God who needs him. Gospels for you. Don't lose that. Don't let us celebrate as a body. Don't let the songs we sing about the gospel and about his grace, don't let the messages you hear about the gospel and about his grace be simply applied to just us as a body. Don't let it simply be applied to just those who are far away from him. Remember that it's you. If there's hope for the church, it's in the gospel. If there's hope for the city, it's in the gospel. If there's hope 
For us, it's in the gospel. There's hope for you, it's in the gospel. So this morning, I just call us to that. To either a coming to or a returning to the gospel. But praying a prayer is not going to change your life. Sorry. Genuine repentance and a turning to Jesus and allowing him to transform your heart is going to change your life. Subtle, but different. So I encourage you, if you're here this morning, and if this is your first or 500th time hearing the gospel, to respond to it. The gospel is not something we respond to once and then move on. The gospel is something that we continually saturate ourselves in. So we've chosen to respond each week as a community with worship, with prayer. Encourage you to to speak to one another, confess sins to one another in this time. Pray for one another. We've also chosen as a community to partake of communion each week as we gather together. So that's available here at table. We take by method known as antiquation, where you take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. If you have experienced redemption or are experiencing it for the first time this morning, this table is open to you. We believe that the bread reminds us of the broken body of Jesus. We believe that the cup, as he taught us, represents the new covenant, the forgiving of our sins by the shedding of his blood. And as we take, we remember and also celebrate the reality of that truth. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to worship. Respond to the Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you today. We thank you that the gospel isn't just for other people. God, we thank you that the gospel isn't just something that is a distant, far off for somebody, but that it's a close, intimate, real thing for me. God, I pray for that one here today. I don't know who they are, but that may be struggling with believing that the gospel is really for them. I pray for that one who, like me, believes too quickly and too easily that the best thing they can do is learn how to hide. God, that we would come into the light. God, that we would come before you not as a hiding sinner, but as a forgiven son. And to boldly come before you and find at your throne, not judgment, not condemnation, but because of Jesus, grace.